Welcome to the Angel Investors Network podcast, the first national angel group founded online in 1997, dedicated to perpetuating free enterprise, capitalism, and supporting the American dream. In addition, Angel Investors Network is the organization behind the powerful Mastermind Investment Club, dedicated to harnessing the philosophy of a mastermind to increase success with their investment portfolio. Laura Rubenstein is a social media and marketing strategist and founder of the Social Buzz Club. On the podcast, Laura brings together successful entrepreneurs to share with you how they grow their business, and you can too. And now, here's your host, Laura Rubenstein. Well, welcome everyone to another edition of the Angel Investors Network podcast. I'm Laura Rubenstein, your marketing strategist and host today, and we have Brian Smith here. Hi, Brian. Hi there, Laura. How are you doing? Good. And for those of you who don't know, Brian is the founder of UGG Imports, uh, where, which bring sheepskin footwear to America. And after 17 years, as, a, as sales reached about 15 million, I understand you sold the business to Decker's Outdoor Corporation. Yeah. And yeah. since then, the brand has gone above a billion in international sales. Yeah. And then today, I know you're an innovator, entrepreneur, consultant, and one of the most sought-after business leaders in uh, the country today. So welcome to the show. Can't wait to have your wisdom here to help people move their startup and their business to the next level. Great. I can't wait. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about you, your background. Where'd you grow up? What was your childhood like? Sure. It was a very normal and it's a good childhood. Uh, and uh, I was in Australia, obviously, and I sort of went through school, um, you know, mostly focusing on sports, but um, ended up becoming an accountant. I didn't want to go to college because I didn't know what I wanted to do, but my parents talked me into a nice, safe, uh, you know, career as an accountant. And after a few years, I, I realized I hated it, but I don't give up and I, do, I wanted to graduate. So it took me 10 years to graduate as an accountant, you know, which is like a CPA, the equivalent. And uh, I quit the day I graduated. <laughs> because I, I, I knew that there was more to life. And, and I was you know, sitting around in, in Perth, Western Australia, wondering what I was going to do. And, and, and during a meditation, it sort of hit me, wow, you know, all the big trends are coming out of California. I like Levi jeans and water beds and all the surf brands. So I'm, I'm going to go to California and find the next big thing to bring back to Australia. And, uh, in like it took only two, two weeks, I think. And I, I arrived in, in Los Angeles with my surfboard and my suitcase and went straight up and started surfing Malibu and looking for the next big thing. And it took like, Oh, I don't know, two or three months of just drifting and making tons of friends up there at the beach and not finding the next big thing until it got to be about, about October and the water was getting cold and the, the weather was starting to cool off. And so I brought a pair of sheepskin boots from Australia because, you know, everyone in Australia owns some sort of sheepskin footwear. And so I was pulling on my Ugg boots on the beach at Malibu and I thought, oh, my God there are no sheepskin boots in America. And that was like the big aha of, uh, 
you know, that, that started this billion dollar brand. It was so simple. That's amazing. So how did you get started from this aha? Well, I, I uh, thought I was going to be an instant millionaire. The buddy I was surfing with, we decided to go into business together and, and he was going to be the salesman and I was going to be the accountant, you know, because uh, I was terrified of sales. And so he went out, we, 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 we got back to my house and we, we did some research and called up a manufacturer in Western Australia and we ordered six pairs of samples. And uh, a few weeks later they arrived and uh, Doug went out on the road uh, to every single shoe store and came back with zero orders. And he said, Brian, they, they said I'm crazy trying to sell sheepskin in California. But I knew that wasn't the reason because Australia's climate's just like California. And, it, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you have to pivot when you hit a wall, you know, and it's like, okay, what the hell? You know, and, and it struck me, all of my friends at Malibu thought they were the best idea in the world. And, and it struck me that, oh, God, they all surfed. They've all been to Australia and bought four or five pairs back for their buddies. So within the surf community, it was a pretty well-known product. So Doug and I then went out onto the road and, and hit all the surf shops. And everyone we walked into was, oh, fantastic. You know, you're going to make a fortune. They're the greatest thing, you know. And so we... You know, we realized we were going to be instant millionaires because of the enthusiasm of the surf shops. And so we raised 20 grand, uh, which was like about 70,000 in today's money. And uh, we bought 500 pairs in and they arrived in the beginning of December. And so we set them all up in the third bedroom of my house and... Uh, Doug and I went back on the road and I can remember walking back into the same surf shop that, you know, told me I was going to be a you know, millionaire. And, and I said, okay, how many do you want? And he says, oh, Brian, you know, well done. But we couldn't sell them in our store. We just sell surfboards and trunks and sandals. And, they're, you know, they're way too expensive for us, but you're going to do great in the shoe stores. And that happened over and over again, you know, for the whole week that, you know, Doug was on the road and I was on the road. And uh, we got back to my little house in Santa Monica and added up the, the first year's sales of Uggs and it was 28 pairs. It just happened to be $1,000 exactly. And so that was the beginning of, of Ugg, you know, $1,000 in sales for the first year. So it sounds like you needed to do another pivot. Yeah, yeah. But the, the beauty of... of you know, that sort of stark reality, you know, came back to help me later on because I wrote a book called The Birth of a Brand. And the theme of the book is that you can't give birth to adults. And I had just been through and experienced a, a theme that every single entrepreneur will face. And that is you, you conceive the idea and then the first action is giving birth. Like the, the birth of Ugg was buying six pairs of samples. And then every business just lies there and it lies there and it lies there and you've got to keep feeding it and, you know, changing diapers. And it seems to be doing nothing, you know, every now and again, you'll get a giggle, but, but eventually it'll, it'll go into a uh, toddling stage and, 
that's pretty cool because you're starting to sell some product and articles are being written about you and that moves on into the youth where you've got a really good ordering system and the production's good and the shipping and receiving and customer service is great and you know youth can be you know one million to 20 million you know depending on on the product but if it's really really good service or product you're going to hit the teenage years and then you can remember when you wanted to be in every party in town well in business you want to be in every trade show and you want to be in every big mass retailer and 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 every distribution center there is, and, and it's so fatal to, to grow too quickly. And I almost lost control of bug a couple of times in that period, but eventually it matures and you put all the controls in. But unfortunately, too many entrepreneurs give up in that infancy where they, they've started, they had a great idea, they've launched it, and it's just lying there. And the tendency is for many entrepreneurs to give up, but you really, if you believe in your product, you have to just wait it out through that period because everyone faces it. So in that period, what do you see as the, other than giving up, is a common mistake? What, what's the difference between someone who makes a bunch of mistakes and those who catapult? Well, usually the, the consumers will direct that because even if you make mistakes, which I made like every mistake there was to be made, in Uggs, because I had no idea. I've never imported products and distributed or sell before. So I made all the mistakes, but I had a belief in the product, that, that it was a good product and eventually it would work. And luckily I had, you know, a couple of million Australians that, that, that already owned products. So I knew it was a good product. And so each entrepreneur must face their own reality. Like, is this a good service? Does this help people? Will, will it have a value that, that, that I perceive, that, that they perceive? And if the answer is yes, then you just gotta, just got to wait it out through that infancy. What are some of the key steps to do during that time period to make sure you get it through successively? Get a second job. <laughs> <laughs> have a steady source of income, okay. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, had, I had summer jobs for the first four years of the UG business. Uh, and you know, uh, there was a point where I wanted to get out of it because it was just so hard and it wasn't seem to catch on. But I remember coming home after I was working as a greenskeeper at a golf course and, I, and it was like the first big stormy rainy day after, after summer and in October. And I decided I was going to get out of the business. And then I got home and the answering machine had like 20, 30 messages from all these shoe retailers and surf shops who wanted to come down and pick up product because, you know, it got cold. And, and that's when I realized, you know, I, I've either got to get really serious and get an investor or just give it up. And so I chose to get an investor. Wonderful. And do you see any common mistakes when getting investors happening? Yeah, it's, it's when you're at that early stage, it's very, very difficult because you're, you know, the, the banks uh, don't want to know about it. You know, angel investors, if they have some foresight and you can pitch your product in a way that they can see the growth, that's really good. But it's a very, very hard, hard period for every entrepreneur is that first couple of rounds of investment. Usually it starts with your own savings. Then it's your parents or your friends. Uh, and then if it shows life and, and 
the critical thing for, for young entrepreneurs is to get a track record of success. And even though with Arg, I was selling product quite a bit, it wasn't really taking off like I thought. And so, you know, the, the big thing for bankers was, and, and also angel investors is, oh, it's Arg's a fad, it won't be around next year. And even though I doubled the sales that following year, they'd say, oh, it's a fad, it won't be around next year. And that, that happened when it was two to $3 million worth of business. I still couldn't get finance because they thought it was a fad. And I, I spoke to a lot of angels, you know, and they, angels tend to want to see how do they get their money out? And which is normal, you know, now that I've got money and I invest, I want to know that I'm going to get my money out, you know. But back then, I didn't realize that. I just said, oh, this is going to be big. It's going to be huge. Just give me your money. I have no idea when you're going to get it back, you know. Just come on for the ride. And so that's a big part of the naivety of, of, of entrepreneurs who think everybody's going to fall in love with their product. But investors don't. Investors look at, you know, how do I get out? Will I get all of my money out? And what money will I make on top of my own money when I do get out? So they're, they're the three things that, that if you're an entrepreneur, you have to be aware of when you're pitching and meeting investors that it's not all about you. It's about them and their safety. Yeah. It's really important that they know. And do you find that the best way to position that is through sale of the company or through sales of the product? Sales of the product. When, when, because you, you don't really want to sell a business until it's like got out of control. You know, that's what happened with me. We got up to about 15 million and I was looking at a 20 million season coming up. And I had no idea how to finance that. And so I, I was like out of control. I'd, I'd grown it to the level of my expertise. And, but, but I couldn't have sold it before then because I didn't want to sell it at 5 million because then I, you know, all the work I'd put in, I wouldn't get a really good return from it. So I wanted to get it up into the 20s you know, at least to, to make a serious return on my efforts. So it, you could pay all the investors off and then you could sell it, right? Right, yeah. And every business is different. And, uh, you know, with the internet now, things go so much faster than back when I was doing business. You know, it was, you know, phone calls and road trips and everything was delivering product by hand. And, and now it's like clicks and, and uh, instant buys and somebody else ships it half the time. These people don't even see the product they're selling, you know? So it's a different world now, but the same principles of marketing and selling and especially customer service still apply. Mm. So explain to us what you're doing with this part of your career. Well, I, I, I sold the business uh, in the late nineties, which was a perfect time for me to do that. I've never regretted it. And even though it's, been six years in the billions. Uh, I am so proud of the, the product and the brand and, and the new people that are running it. And uh, I really didn't have the skills. I, I love startups. I love the chaos. I love the uncertainty and the, the risk. But when it becomes a big corporation with committee meetings and, you know, boards and, and stuff, that, that's where I start to bog down. So I started a, a 
product uh, in the construction industry, believe it or not. I, I invented a concrete that was half the weight of regular concrete, but still had structural strength. So I, I built a really, really good precast concrete wall business. And we put up over a hundred structures in Southern California in a four or five year period, which was phenomenal. But then the recession hit in 2009 and, and the factory I had was huge. It was like two acres under roof and another two acres outside. And we just couldn't sustain no income for four or five years. So, you know, that wound down. So during that downtime, I wrote the book, The Birth of, the Birth of a Brand. And that did so well that it sort of drew me onto the stage. I, I never intended to be a speaker, but it turned out I'm pretty good at it. And uh, I love now just traveling around talking to entrepreneurs and CEO groups and, you know, multi-level marketing groups. It just, just audi audiences full of entrepreneurs or CEOs who have been entrepreneurs and, and know, cause they get a, you know, the, the sophisticated guys get a, a really good kick out of it going, Oh my God, I remember that. And the, the new entrepreneurs get a real, uh, eye-opening look at what's ahead and you know what one of the key things is that to be a good entrepreneur there's a certain amount of ignorance that you have to have <laughs> before you start you know because if you knew what was ahead you pretty pretty much wouldn't start right so what is the best advice you ever received as an entrepreneur oh that's that's an easy one before we even started business i was you know i'd, I'd found a magazine called Action Sports Retailer. It was the very first issue, volume one, and uh, issue number one. And I thought, oh my God, that's perfect for all the surf shops and the you know, action sports stores that I want to go to. So I went down and visited them and, and we hadn't even got any product in yet. We, we just had some samples. And I, you know, I was asking you know, how much do the, you know, the, the ads cost? And he said, well, it's a thousand, it's $1,500 a page, but if you buy two, we'll give them to you a thousand each. And I just looked at him, I said, you gotta be kidding, man. I haven't even started business. We don't even have any inventory. And he said, Brian, it's not how big you are, it's how big you are perceived to be that counts, right? And would you believe I bought two ads? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I, I launched it before, you know, just right as the product was coming in. And that rule of, of marketing and advertising stayed with me for the rest of my, you know, it's still with me today. Um, to be, you know, put the ads out like you're bigger than you are and to make your, your business look bigger. And it was very difficult back in the early 80s to do that. But... Now that the internet's here, you can have a website that if you're clever and pay a little bit of money for, you can look like the same website as a billion dollar company, right? And so nobody knows out there that you're operating out of your garage or you, know, you don't have any money, or, but, but if you can put across the image, and, and, you, and I'm not saying to do this fraudulently, but if you can back up, you know, whatever sales you get with product, um, you can play with the big boys and, and be as big as you want to look on social media. So that's, that's probably the best advice I've ever had. And how about the advice you give? What is the most important advice you can give? 
Well, for new entrepreneurs, it's don't give up. If you believe in your product, don't give up. And, uh, you know, I think one of the key things that I had to learn in building the Yug Boot business was that nearly always your most disappointing disappointments will become your greatest blessings, right? I can't tell you how many times things just like failed or screwed up or didn't go the way I want, stop dead, you know, and I'd be devastated there for a while. But within a couple of days, you know, you, 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 when you learn to pivot, like, okay, what I do today is now, God, that's, that's, God, why did that happen, right? Okay, now what's good about it, right? I ask myself, what's good about it? And I'm always amazed that within a day or two days or a week, depending on the problem, I'll figure out a way around it. And a month later, I'll look back and go, thank God that happened because I wouldn't be doing this new thing if that hadn't have gone wrong. And so it's, it's almost like a correction of growth that things are never going to be steady. Uh, as long as things are sort of, you know, getting out of control and you have to keep fixing them, that's where the growth of a business comes from. And so always think that your most disappointing disappointments will become your greatest blessings. If you can just believe that, you'll get through 90% of all the stuff that's going to happen. Do you have a little story or scenario where that happened that you could share? Yeah, well, there was a period where I lost control of the company by bringing in new investors. You know, I, I was bringing in three guys and we were all going to share at 25% each. And the documentation that said that we drew up contracts and everything. And but there was a proviso. I didn't get my 25% until I finished up a little trademark lawsuit, right? Which I knew I was going to win. So I didn't, I didn't really care. But they didn't see it that way. So I was out there the first day after this new deal. And I went to Huntington Surf and Sport. And he said, hey, Brian, I heard you sold the company. I said, what? He said, yeah, you know, I called in an order this morning. And they said, you don't own it anymore. And I said, you're kidding me. They said that? And I, went, I drove straight back to San Diego from Huntington Beach, you know, and I pulled out the contract and, and I read it, you know, and I thought, oh, my God, I, I really technically don't have any stock until I finish that lawsuit. And I just went into this huge depression because I thought I was bringing in three new partners and we all owned at 25% each. And anyway, after about three or four days, I, I, I kicked this depression and I figured out, okay, well, you know, part of the deal was I was going to be the sales rep for Southern California. So I just went back out on the road and started selling. And even I uh, told the guys, look, I may never own the company. Go, I'm going to make sure I get as many people into Ugg boots as I can. And I got back a month later and they gave me an envelope. And it was a check for $5,000. And he said, that's your commissions for the month. And, I, and that was the first money I'd ever taken out of the company. Hmm. And the next month I got back and there's a check for 10,000 and the next month, another check for 10,000. And I started realizing, you know, instead of doing all the work of in the warehouse and shipping and receiving accounting, I was doing none of that. I was just out on the road being a sales rep, having fun with all the, you know, the surf shop owners and, uh, you know, playing golf with them in the summer and surfing and, and, I re and I'm making all this money. And that, that happened for the next three or four years where I made, you know, 100, 120,000 a month, uh, a year, 
just in commissions by having fun. And that was a perfect example of your most, because when I was, you know, realized I didn't own the company, I was so devastated. But here I was a couple of years later thinking that's the best damn thing that ever happened. And by a pure fluke later on, you know, I got the company back 100%. And uh, it wasn't a fluke. It was because of my hard work and positioning. I got the company 100%. And so, you know, there's a great example of, you know, a lot of people would have walked away with that disappointment. But I just hung in there and, you know, it became a tremendous blessing. That's great. So you're talking about getting out on the road and we talked about advertising and selling what's working now for businesses um, to attract more business. What's working now. Um, Social media is taking a real big part in marketing today. Uh, I wish I knew more about it. I mean, I mean, I'm doing it and, and I'm part of it and, and I'm in biz- other businesses I consult with that are really, really good at it. Uh, and so that's the, the future is being able to have a really good image and a social media outreach, but even more important for the longevity and success of your company is man- maintaining a presence with your customers. In other words, customer service is still one of the most critical things to keep for a business. And it used to be when I was going around visiting the owners of every surf shop in the country and every, eventually every shoe store in the country, that was incredible customer service on my part. But now you have to reach through this internet. And like I have one client that sells a leather bag it's like a sash bag uh made out of lamb leather it's beautiful product it's going to be the next fanny pack of the you know this next decade and uh nobody gets a bag she ships out three thousand a month there's not one person receives a bag without a phone call follow-up a week later asking hey how did you did you get the bag did you like it? what do you think about it any comments you know and she's got this you know, she's got 40,000 people on her mailing list, about four or 5,000 of them are raving fans who are constantly saying, when's the next color coming out? When's the, what's, you know, what's happening? And so it's possible to keep customer service. And if you don't follow up an outreach to your customers, there'll always be somebody cheaper. There'll always be somebody faster. But if you've taken the effort to create a personal relationship with your customer, it's absolute gold. There's nothing that can replace that. Yeah. So is there something you'd like to share that I haven't asked you yet? Um, it's a beautiful day here in San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, the, uh, yeah, I think the, the other sort of piece of philosophy that I've always lived by uh, is to do with patience. And, and I have a theme that's in my book, which is the quickest way for a tadpole to become a frog is live every day happily as a tadpole. Mm. Right. And it sounds very trite, but it's a hugely deep piece of philosophy. And if you just keep working at what you do day after day after day, trying to be better, trying to be better, but mostly being happy and being, you know, um, grateful for what you have and, and enthusiastic for what you're doing and hopeful for what it can be. 
it, it, it's, it's really surprisingly short amount of time before you look back and say, oh my God, look at, look at where I've got to, look where I've come. And that, that frog principle is a really, really powerful one. I love that. Um, yeah. It just makes so much sense too. It's like, why should we be miserable when we could be happy? And that could actually yeah, lead you to your next you step, right? You can't accelerate time. You, mm-hmm. you, you may as well, the, the key word there is be happy as a tadpole, right? Right where you are. Yeah, because there's nothing you can do to accelerate it. So what do you think are some of the secrets behind the growth that you've had in the past or any you're seeing currently? Um, the, the growth happened for me when I figured out the essence of good advertising and marketing right? I'd spent three years advertising, uh, you know, with, with models posed on the beach with the boots like front and center in the ad, you know, the main part of the ad and perfect hair and clothes and everything. And I, I ran ads like that for a couple of years and got nowhere. Like the sales were 10,000 then 15, then 20,000. They should have been way more. And then I was having a beer with one of my surf shop owners and I was explaining this thing. He just says, shut up, Brian. And he calls out to these little kids in the back room. Hey, come out here. And he says, what do you guys think of Uggs? And every one of them just said, oh, those Uggs, man, they're so fake. Have you seen those ads, those models? They can't surf. And instantly, you know, I, I realized, oh, my God, I'm sending the wrong image to my target market. And quickly I pivoted. And, and called up a buddy who was running a scholastic surfing association up in Orange County. And I said, Pete, do you have any young kids who are going to turn pro soon? You know, because I've got no money, but I can pay him in Ugg boots. And, and uh, he said, he gave me a couple of guys. And so instead of posing them, we, we just went surfing at Black's Beach and Trestles, which are two iconic surf walks there. It's about a mile from the, where you park to get to the beach on both of them. And... And I just knew, I just took my own camera and I just did a bunch of shots of these guys walking to the beach and back, you know. And when I ran those ads in in October, November, December, the sales went to $200,000. And it was because I'd finally figured out that I wanted the kids reading this magazine to be, want to be so badly in that photo, you know. Oh God, if if I was just with Mike Parsons walking to Trestle, the interesting thing is the Ugg boots in my ads were so small you could hardly even see them, right? Mm-hmm. But it didn't matter because it, it showed me then you never advertise your product. You advertise the benefit or the feeling or the emotion that your product brings to people. And if you can be successful in bringing that emotional you know, yearning of every reader or viewer, whatever it is, and, you know, on social media, into the what you're trying to sell that's the secret of good marketing and so i think that's probably one of the most valid pieces of advice that i could give for anybody who wants to grow you know if you've got your business going to a certain rate and you still feel stalled just have a look at your marketing and see if there's any way you can create an emotion or an urgency for people to want to be part of your product based on that benefit or what something they want to experience and feel. That's great. And um, 
there's so many ways to do it. So it doesn't, you know, that's timeless. It could be on social media, it could be in a magazine. Yeah. Yeah, um, instance, you have a piece of software that, that saves time for people. You don't advertise a photo of your software. I've seen ads of people's software. I mean, you advertise a guy in the Bahamas drinking a martini with all the time he's saving because of your software. That, that's the emotional thing. So you've got to think out of the box and get away from your product. And that, believe me, that, that principle and, and figuring out that is what, where I fell in love with marketing and advertising. I became a student of advertising and marketing over the next 20 years. And that's the main reason Ugg's a billion dollars today mm. because I was able to figure out how to you know, get some sort of emotion into everything I did. What types of marketing do you think have been the most effective for UGG? UGG, um, definitely the visual stuff and mostly magazine advertising and uh, the putting UGG in, in fabulous, you know, I, I was doing it mostly through surfing, um, snowboarding, you know, back in the Midwest, it was ice hockey because all the kids played ice hockey. And then eventually I wanted to get a better, image for UGG, so I created a casual comfort category and and I started sponsoring, uh, not sponsoring, but I started giving product away to all the stylists in Hollywood, you know, who did the makeup and the hairdos and the wardrobes for all of the, the TV and movie productions. And bit by bit, you know, they were, you know they'd, they'd be doing like Tom Cruise's hair, and he say, what are those things? And they go, oh, these are Uggs, they're fantastic. Wow, can you get me a pair? And so bit by bit, this seeding of Hollywood ended up where you picked up USA Today um, or, or People Magazine, for instance, and you, you look at all the, you know, the Hollywood people walking around Hollywood with their Ugg boots on, you know, that was huge. And it didn't cost anything. It cost me a bunch of free product for all these stylists. And so that, that to me was probably one of the most influential things that took UGG outside of my little, you know, niches and put them into a really good casual comfort climate. Brilliant. Yeah. How do you think you get your message to stand out in a crowded marketplace? Wow. Well, how is Sash doing it? Sash is doing it the same way I did it. They, they put photos out of people traveling the world with their sash bags. They've got all the fans are sending in photos of them all over the world in these, you know, ridiculous situations where a woman's got one baby on the front and holding another baby, but the sash bag's completely independent because it's, it's you know, it's part of her, her apparel. And, and so there's all the moms see it all the travel people see it and they go, Oh God, I wish I was in, you know, the Bahamas. God, if I had a hat, if I had a sash bag, I'd be in the Bahamas, you know? So she's, she's doing everything that, that I used to do and creating a, a, a God, I wish I was in that photo type thing. And she does that on Facebook, like those 3000 bags a month that she sells hundred percent on Facebook. Don't not have a single retailer at the moment. Brilliant. Yeah. What marketing challenges are you or your brands you, you consult with facing? Marketing challenges? Um, I think it's just straddling the various types of social media that are out there. You know, 
should I be in Instagram, you know, Facebook, Google's you know, becoming powerful for selling now. And so it's a matter of, you know, just figuring out how to um, do your marketing effectively because it, it's just like regular advertising. You, you can do some really bad ads like the first ads I was doing for UGG. I was just throwing 20, 30,000 a year away because mm-hmm. they weren't doing anything. So you, you just have to be smart and and if if you don't understand it hire somebody who can help you uh public relations is a really good way of getting um, um exposure in fact one of the biggest jumps that we had uh for ug was when i created this casual comfort thing i i wanted to be on the front page of usa today and so i had to get a pr agency out of boston to help put this huge package together and we did a tour and we ended up getting, but it was it was it was a sort of a fluke how we got to the front page of the lifestyle section in USA Today with Pamela Anderson wearing a pair of UGG boots on the beach in a red swimsuit. You know, I I tried to hide that photo from the, from the you know the marketing girl there at USA Today, you know the fashion editor, but she zeroed in on that and ran it, and that took this thing nationwide. You know, we had people calling in from all over the country saying, hey, where's a retailer in my area? You know, and we had retailers calling in saying, Shit, how do, everyone's calling me for that product. How do I get it? You know, and so that was a huge uh, exposure gathering thing, but it was totally targeted at public relations. So, you know, the, the, if you've had, but it's also expensive to get good public relations. It's cheap, it's cheap to get bad public relations, which you don't want to do, but it's, it sort of takes a bit of money to get good PR. But if you can do that, that is really one of the most effective ways of getting an image out there. Well, you've had quite the journey and I really appreciate you sharing it with us and all of your wisdom, your tips, your experiences, your stories. Um, it's invaluable to our listeners today. So thanks for being here. My pleasure. And if I could just say that the whole roadmap for entrepreneurs is in my book called The Birth of a Brand. And so it's a very fast, easy read and it takes it from conception right through to the sale of the company. And it's a really good roadmap for entrepreneurs. Wonderful. So check out the book and we'll be back for another episode of Angel Investors Network podcast. Bye for now. Thanks, Laura. See you later. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer.